So you may, you may have noticed, I noticed it for sure, that a lot of these songs had the word king or the word kingdom in them. And uh, that's really good and fitting because we are currently doing a message series called Kingdom People. And last month, we did a three-part one when we, where we called Kingdom Come, where we looked at the advancing kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, and the radical kingdom. And this month, we're doing a three-part mini-series called Kingdom Community. Last month, we looked at how God's kingdom rules over all, not just the church, but the whole of creation. He has a plan that goes into the past, that is working in the present, that extends into the future. God's kingdom, the Bible says, rules over all. But in this month, we are looking at the kingdom community. We are looking at the church, which is the center of God's kingdom. We don't have time to look at it today, but there is a passage where, God, where Paul talks about God's plan and about how his plan encompasses all of creation, and then he says, but at the center of it all is his church. The church is not on the periphery of what God is doing. It's at the center of what he's doing. Now, it's not the only thing that he's doing. God is at work all over the place, not just in the church, but outside of it. But the church is God's kingdom community. So last week, we looked at the word ecclesia or ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church. We looked at that. And today, we are going to look at the etiquette, kingdom etiquette, that the, the way that we are supposed to conduct ourselves as kingdom citizens. Now, when, you, when I say the word etiquette, you might think of some uh, school of etiquette that young ladies used to go to, and they had to, they had to be able to walk while balancing a book on their head or they weren't walking like a young lady, you know? And all of that kind of stuff, proper pronunciation, manners in society, and everything else. But that's not the only kind of etiquette. Every organization, every community, um, every group of people develop a way that is appropriate for them to conduct themselves in that community or situation, and ways that are inappropriate to conduct themselves in that situation. Now, I'm going to just say this. When I became, when I was a, a young Christian, when I first came to faith in Christ, um, this was one of these subjects. There's a few subjects like this that they get taught a lot all over the world. It's like there's a renewed interest in, in it, and people write books on it. And then once everybody is kind of fed up hearing about it, uh, it kind of dies out, and we think, we don't have to talk about this because everybody knows about it. But then a decade goes past that we think everybody knows about it, and during that decade, new people have come to faith in Christ, and they've never heard any of this, and so then there comes a kind of revival. We need to teach this thing on the body of Christ, and a whole load of new books come out about the same topic and so on. That's just the way we are. We really emphasize things, and then we kind of forget about them, and then we remember them again and have to go back to them. 
Now, I have been a pastor for quite a long time, since before some of you were even born. And uh, I can tell you that I have seen a lot of problems in churches. I, ha I, I also know a lot of pastors. I sometimes I, I'm involved in coaching other pastors, and I hear a lot of stories from other churches too. And here's the conclusion I have come to, that um, most of the problems that churches have are not spiritual problems, even when they are kind of like labeled that way, but they tend to be emotionally immature problems in which people are behaving in immature ways and getting on each other's nerves, and instead of trying to sort it out, they just fall out with each other like people in the world would as well. That's not kingdom etiquette. I want to show you a key verse, a key verse. Uh, go to the next slide. 1 Timothy 3.14, he says, I am right, this is the Apostle Paul talking, I am writing these things to you, even, uh, to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, now look at this next bit, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of truth. Now, I believe that if you're part of a church congregation, you should feel relaxed in it, you should feel accepted in it, you should have friends in it, you should have some fun in it, you should enjoy coming to church. There, you know, in His presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. We are supposed to enjoy the Christian life and enjoy our church experience, but we must always remember that this isn't just some little club that we formed. This is the church of the living God. This is more important than any other organization or institution that exists anywhere on planet Earth. You know, you've got the Boy Scouts founded by Baden-Powell, I think, or somebody like that. And then you've got countries and governments that, you know, say the United States, founded by the founding fathers. You've got all these organizations and institutions and countries and, and groups of people that are, a group of people got together and decided something, and they were founded by somebody. But this is the church of the living God, founded by the head of the church, Jesus Christ Himself. And this is really important. Like, this is more important than anything else that you're, you're involved in. And so, it's supposed to be the pillar and foundation of truth. So, because, because this is the church of the living God, I don't mean this building, I mean everybody in whatever building they're in, whatever name is above the door, everyone who truly names the name of Jesus is part of the church, okay, the ecclesia. But look at this, you will know how people must, not might, not it's okay, but there's a way that we must conduct ourselves in the house of God, okay? And so, we're going to look at that a little bit today. I want to uh, 
I want to just share a couple of little things with you. Um, first of all, I remember, I remember many years ago, I was talking to someone I knew who was a pastor. He was actually, uh, he was a missionary. He had been sent from another country to this particular country uh, as a missionary, and he planted a church, and he became the pastor of this church, and he was he was supported by his home church in the country that he came from. Anyway, one day he said to me, oh, I'm needing to pack up all my stuff and go back to the home church and visit there. There's been a big issue happening, and I don't know how it's going to affect the church. Maybe the church is going to split over it. Maybe it won't exist anymore. Maybe they'll no longer support me. And I said, how, what's happened? He said, They've just discovered that the senior pastor has been having an affair with five different women in the church. Like, I'm struggling to work out how that even happens. I don't know if I could juggle two women, never mind five, and try and keep it all. Well, he obviously couldn't keep it all secret either. And I'm like, what? I mean, this is not just a moral failing. Like, this is a pattern here. And he said, yeah, and apparently it's not the first time either. Apparently years ago, he was put out of a church for the same thing. People, can I just say something? That is not how kingdom people conduct themselves, is it? That's not how kingdom people conduct themselves. Now, that was the leader. Then I remember another time, I was asked by a pastor to come into this church and help sort out a problem that they had. And um, basically, this church had been going nowhere, um, and they didn't have a pastor, and they called this guy to come and be their pastor. And he had prayed about it. They had prayed about it. They felt that he was the guy that God, that, that God wanted. And him and his family felt that they were called to this church. And they moved home and they, went, they, they moved to that city and they came to that church. And they had been there for about five or six years. And he said to me, everything that I want to do that they agreed five years ago was God's will, everything all of the key lay people in the church oppose it and stop it. And the more I spoke to this man, I realized this man was actually like very, very, very close to a full breakdown. He was burned out. His family were burned out. Um, the, it, the, church, um, the, the church treated him almost like, like they were the police and he was a naughty boy and they were going to keep him in line all the time. And so at the end of the day, for his good and for the church's good, I said to him, I think you need to find a new church who will value you. And I went to the leaders of the church and I said, I think you need to find a new pastor. And that guy looks like a good guy because he would not stand for being bullied. I knew it. <laughs> so he's a good guy. Maybe you should call him to come and put you all in your place, you know? And so here... On the one hand, in the first thing, here was a leader committing adultery in a church 
completely inappropriate. I mean, even in the world, that would have been inappropriate behavior, never mind in the church. That's not how kingdom people conduct themselves in the house of God. And then in the second situation, here was the pastor who wasn't doing any of these things, who was desperately trying to, to serve God, but he had gossip, and he had division, and he had uh, people speaking against his family and spreading rumors and, until he was completely burned out. That's not how kingdom people conduct themselves either. Is it church? No, it's not. There is a way that we conduct ourselves as Christians. And let me say this, there's probably about 25 of these points that we could go through, but we don't have time. But I mean, Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount says to you, here's how to conduct yourself when you're being persecuted. Here's how to conduct yourself when someone is being your enemy. Here's how to conduct yourself when you're being sued. He tells us lots of ways to conduct ourselves. But what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to give you the top six. Well, the first six that came to my mind, okay? The top six. So this is going to be a little bit like a Bible study today, which is why I am wearing my Gateway Academy sweatshirt. So if you're not part of the Academy, um, you're going to get a little taste of a Bible study today. And if you like the sweatshirt, they are available at the gift store after the service. Okay, so let's look at our six points. Point number one. Go to the next one. Uh, we should seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. Let's say that together. We should seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. So, you know how you've got siblings, and sometimes you may, growing up especially, you may fall out with your siblings and be unhappy with your siblings, but here's the thing they are always going to be your siblings. So sooner or later, you have to fix that because they will always be your siblings until one of you dies. Now, your brothers and sisters in Christ are your spiritual siblings, and they're going to be your siblings not till you die, but forever and ever. Amen. Okay? So, if you've fallen out with them, you might want to put it right now, and Jesus even tells us how to do it. He says, if another believer sins against you, passive-aggressively pretend everything's right, but gossip about them to anyone who will listen to you. Is that what Jesus said? Why on earth do we do that then? You know, the Bible says you shall not commit murder. Do you think if you murdered somebody, it would be a sin? It's not a trick question. Do you think if you murdered somebody, it would be a sin? Right. So, if we're not supposed to gossip about people behind their back, and the Bible tells us that over and over, do you think doing that might be a sin? Yes, is the answer, okay, for anyone that's not sure, right? If another believer sins against you, now, people are going to sin against you all the time. I mean, there's lots of little tricks. You know, somebody might have cut you off in traffic, and you hit your horn, and they give you a hand signal that's not actually officially in the, in the book of hand signals. And so, you're mad at them, but 
if you're going to have to go and confront everybody about everything, you're going to have, your life's going to be really tied up, okay? So most things are going to be, whatever, I'm just not going to let that bother me. But if there is something that has wounded you, that has bothered you, and it's one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus said, go privately and point out the offense. Because sometimes people have offended you and they are totally oblivious to it, right? Go to them privately and point out the, the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, if the person says, oh my goodness, I'm really sorry, I, I didn't mean to hurt you that way, and you hug each other, right? If the other person listens and confesses it, you have put that little rascal in their place. Is that what it says? You have what? Won. You've won your brother back. The purpose of you going and speaking to someone is not so that you can give them a piece of your mind. Nobody wants a piece of that junk, okay? It's not so you can give them a piece of your mind it's so that the relationship can be restored. So if you're going there to sort them out, you, you, you've blown it in, to start off with, okay? So he says, go, and, and you've won the person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. Now, if we read this whole passage in context, Jesus is talking about how even a small group of people who gather together in his name, he is there in the midst, Whatever they pray for shall be granted, and they are an expression of the church. So these one or two other people that you're taking with you are like people that are known to you and people that are known to them. It's like you're, one of, you're falling out with one of your siblings, and it's got really bad, and another sibling is now trying to help you. Make, it's not like you've brought the heavy mob now. Well, you wouldn't listen to me on my own, so now I've got two bodyguards with me to make sure. It's not that. It's like we want the family to be united. That is the whole context of it, right? Bring one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, which doesn't mean stand on the platform and say, hey, that person over there said you've got a bad attitude. That is not what it means. We have an example of this in the book of Acts of what take an issue to the church means. And it was this. Some of the Christian leaders thought that Gentiles had to be converted to Jews first before they could believe in the Jewish Messiah. But Paul was telling them straight about the Messiah without them having to be converted to Jews first. And they were believing in the Messiah and were going straight to becoming Christians. And some of, some of the Jewish people were offended by this. So they take it to the church. It said they called the apostles and elders together to discuss the matter, and they came to a unanimous decision which they believed the Holy Spirit had guided them to. That was it. And so take it to the church. If he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. How do we treat pagans? Do we go about saying, ah, get away from me, pagan? Do we? Do we invite them to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes. So what it's saying is, treat that person the way that you would a non-believer. 
They're living like a non-believer. They've rejected the other believers. So treat them as someone who still needs to be one into the kingdom. There's a three-step plan. Number one, if it's really bothering you that much, go and talk to the person alone with the purpose of being reconciled to them. Number two, get a couple of your buddies and their buddies involved in it who are also believers and see, and, and then if it's something that is now affecting your life at church, maybe speak to the team leader, the small group leader, a pastor, somebody, say, our, our relationships have, it's not to say who's right and who's wrong, our relationship has broken down and we need some help and reconciliation here. So the first point is we should seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. That's how we conduct ourselves. There's no gossip involved. There's no cutting off from somebody and then sending them an email and telling them everything that's wrong with them. That's, not what, that's what cowards do. But kingdom people actually go and talk to their brothers and sisters face to face. And all God's people said, amen. Next point. We have qualifications for leadership positions. So it can't just be, oh, this buddy's good with, with organizing things. Let's make him a leader. Look what the Bible says. Here is another statement you may trust. If anyone is seeking a position as a leader in the church, he desires an honorable and important work. Here are the qualifications to look for in a leader. He should be beyond criticism in these things. Faithful to his wife, sober-minded, sensible, respectable, welcoming to strangers and newcomers. You know, I was reading this during the week, and my mind went back to when I was a young Christian, and I was part of this church, and one of the leaders in the church um, was not welcoming to strangers and newcomers. In fact, every Sunday, she would take me aside and say to me, who who are those two people coming in the door there? I've not seen them before. And I would say, I, I don't know. I don't think I've seen them before either. Yeah, I discern there's something not right about them. Go and find out who they are. And I'd be like, lady, on Wednesday night at the prayer meeting, we were praying for God to send visitors. Da-da, the answer to our prayer, you know, welcoming to strangers and newcomers and gifted to teach disqualify any drunk or violent man. Look for a gentleman. Actually, I know a church where the, where the elders meeting got so heated they had a punch-up and somebody called the cops. But anyway, um, look, for, look for a gentleman who is free from money, money lost. He should exert good control over his own household with his children obeying and honoring him. If someone can't manage his own household, then how can he take care of God's family? He must be someone, he must, mustn't be someone recently converted, regardless of how enthusiastic they are. But otherwise, he may become arrogant and fall into the devil's condemnation. Now, we kind of hope that all Christians live like that, right? But we know that that's not the case. But anyone in considered for leadership should. Next point. Next one. We have res respect and support for our elders, natural and spiritual. Let's say this together. 
we have respect and support for our elders, natural and spiritual. One of the biggest weaknesses in our Western cultures, North America, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, those kind of westernized cultures, one of our biggest weaknesses is our cultures do not respect older people. In fact, you know, first of all, first of all, we got abortion to get rid of the, all the inconvenient babies, and now we've got euthanasia to get rid of all the sick old folk that are an inconvenience to us. Only a Western culture would come up with something like that. You go and try and sell that in certain other cultures, they will be horrified. I was watching during the Truth and Reconciliation stuff recently, I was watching the television, there was a program about it, and there was a bunch of indigenous teenagers, and they just looked like any other teenagers. They were sitting talking, they were laughing and joking, some of them were on their phones, and then some old people walked out. And one of, and what caught my attention was, one of the teenage in, uh, indigenous boys shut his phone and he said to all the other teenagers, the elders are here, we must listen to them. And they all sat and sat, and not bored silence, I wish they would shut up, you know, not like that. They sat and they gave respect to the wisdom of the older people. We need to get that back in our culture. But if it never comes back in our culture, in the church, we need to value our elderly people. And all God's people said, look at this, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother. And treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children and grandchildren, their first responsibility is to shove her in a nursing home and forget she's there. No, that's not what it says. Their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. As I was studying this, I went through to the living room and I said to my daughters, I hope when we're old, you're not going to shove us in a nursing home because the Bible said, and I didn't even get to the Bible, they said, of course not. We'll take you into our house and look after you. And I thought, thank you, Lord, for that. <clears throat> so it says, this is something that pleases God. Looking after your old relatives pleases God, right? Now, a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasures is spiritually dead, even while she lives. So there, we have respect for our natural elders, and there's a way that we have to treat them. And in the next paragraph, talks about our spiritual elders. Let's go to that. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. And you know, all the pastors read that and it's like, yes, I should get paid well. And then they read the next verse where God says, because you're just an ox. That's all you are. Any old donkey could do your job, you know. So he says, 
For the scripture says you must not muzzle the ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder, especially if it's shared under the guise of a prayer point. Can, can you, pr I've got a prayer request. It's actually gossip, but if I say prayer request, it sounds better, right? Unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Do you notice that's the exact same as the first thing? Go to the person alone, then take two people with you, and then it can go to the leaders. You know, <clears throat> what he's saying here is leaders in the church should be given the same dignity as members in the church. You should go through this first of all. And then he says here, um, to those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. Now, that's a scary one, isn't it? Now, I'm glad it says those who sin. It doesn't say if you don't like their personality, if you found their joke unfunny, you don't like their sense of humor, if you think they wear too much cologne, or whatever it may be, it's none of that. You know, like if, if, you, if you have watched Dan's comedy videos and you didn't laugh at them, if, if you didn't like something that, uh, a story that Darian told sometime, well, tough luck, okay, tough luck. We, all, we have to put up with your sense of humor and your personality, okay? <laughs> However, if you ever find the three of us drunk in hooters with strange women round in our arms, we should be reprimanded in front of the whole church and relieved of our duties, okay? That's what it's talking about here. This will serve as a strong warning to others, right? I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone and never be in a hurry to appoint a church leader. So there we have respect and support for our elders and that's your own spiritual. Next one. The next one, we have moral standards that are higher than the world's. Say that with me, will you? We have moral standards that are higher than the world's. Now, like most things, humans love going to one extreme or the other. So sometimes you'll have a group of Christians that want to take Christian moral standards and want to impose them on non-Christians. They actually want legislation passed that will make non-Christians obey Christian standards, right? All that's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of people who look like Christians on the outside just because they don't want arrested, but their hearts have never been changed. That's not the gospel, right? So you've got some Christians that want to impose their standards on non-Christians. And then you've got other Christians that say, times have changed, the world has moved on, we should just get rid of our moral standards and adopt the world's moral standards. Both of those are an extreme, right? Remember, we are in the world, but not of the world. We are not judging the world for their values, but we have different values. By the way, church, that's the same in any organization. You want to be a Catholic nun? You have to be a woman, unmarried, and a Catholic. Male Buddhists do not become Catholic nuns, okay? 
There are certain qualifications, right? And it's the same here. Look at this. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters. In that case, you would need to leave the world. Now, some people have done that, haven't they? They've gone away and bought land and set up little farms so that they don't mix with the world. But he says, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. So what he's saying here is he's saying, I'm not saying judge the people in the world, but the people of the kingdom, in the kingdom community, there is an etiquette, there is a standard that is higher than the world standard. And again, everybody who loves God's word said, Amen. next one, our next point. Um, Romans 14, this is a really interesting one. We allow other believers to follow their conscience on disputable matters. Let's say that together. We allow other believers to follow their conscience on disputable matters. This is a teaching that, as far as I'm aware, I could be wrong, but as far as I'm aware, it is unique to Christianity. I don't know of any other religion that has this, but in Christianity, there is a body of teachings that you must believe to be a Christian. You know, you must believe that God so loved the world that He sent His Son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again. You know the stuff, right? And then there are other, there's other teachings that the Bible touches on, but maybe doesn't explain very clearly, and Christians have different opinions about it. So, for instance, if you're reading a passage about the final return of Christ, some Christians picture it one way and some Christians picture it another way, you know? But, so, there are some things that there is dispute about, but there's a body of teachings that we all believe. Likewise, when it comes to lifestyle choices, there are certain things, there's a certain way that all Christians should live, you know? We've, we've touched on them. There's whole lists of them in the Bible, even in the New Testament. But that stuff about drunkards and swindlers and con artists and adulterers, that's not how we live. It's very clear. But then there's other things that are maybe less clear that Christians disagree on. Disputable matters. Hey, we've got one of them coming up soon. Should I allow my kids to go trick-or-treating or not? Some Christians will say yes. Some Christians will say no. It's a disputable matter. Both Christians believe in the gospel message and are seeking to live a godly life. But on that, there's a disputable matter. There are lots of things that Christians disagree on, and we are told to follow the dictates of our own conscience on that. I mean, like, so for instance, when I first became a Christian, the group of people that I became a Christian amongst, all the leaders of, of it had once been alcoholics, 
and they had come to faith in Christ and been delivered from alcoholism and before they, they started this movement. So because of that, none of them drank alcohol. So there was a kind of culture in, in that group of don't drink alcohol. So I didn't drink alcohol either. Um, but I knew that some Christians did drink alcohol in moderation. And there's been, a, you know, after a season in my life went by, I felt in my conscience it was perfectly fine for me to have a beer or a glass of wine. And, and if I never have one for the rest of my life, it wouldn't bother me. But occasionally, it suits me fine. And so, that's a disputable matter. They had a very good reason for not drinking alcohol, right? If somebody has been involved in a cult, some kind of satanic cult or witch's coven or something like that before they came to Christ, and Halloween was a big deal to them, isn't it understandable that once they come to Christ, they want nothing to do with that? But then you've got just a people that were brought up in a Christian home, and they're just dressed up like Luke Skywalker and Princess Leah, and they're going down the street to collect candy. They're not worshiping the devil, right? These are disputable matters. What do we do about disputable matters? Look, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another, another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. So if you're a vegan, be a vegan till your heart's content, but don't tell me to be one, and neither will I come with bacon under your nose and tempt you either, right? I will respect your decisions and you respect mine. Um, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? You know, when the whole COVID thing started and different churches did different things and some got in the news um, for not following rules and people kept coming to me saying, what do you think of this pastor and what do you think of that pastor? I'm not his Lord and master. I have no opinion. I presume he prayed and sought God and made a decision, and one day he'll give an account to God. But he's never going to give an account to me. I don't want to have an opinion about anybody in that sense, right? Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Like, see people who make different decisions than me on disputable matters? I'm not rooting for them to fail. I'm rooting for them to stand. They're my brothers and sisters. Let's read on. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day. You know, some people worship on a Saturday, the Sabbath, right? Other people say any day. Others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whatever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do it to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. Some Christians won't eat halal meat. And they won't eat halal meat because, first of all, they might think the cause of death is unnecessarily cruel, but also because a prayer has been made to another God as that was taking place. Then there's other Christians that are like, 
I don't know what happened to the meat before it came to the restaurant. I'm just here for a good curry. That's all I want, right? Two different opinions, and each should be allowed to hold their own opinion. He says there, so why, uh, you should be convinced, right, yeah, 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 those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, right? There's only one person we're going to give an account to. Let's read on. He says, yes, each of us will give our personal account to God, so let's stop condemning each other. If you have doubts about whether or not you should partake of something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. If you think you shouldn't do something, don't allow peer pressure or bullying or anything else coerce you into doing something against your conscience. Now, likewise, don't you bully and coerce other people to follow your conscience. You say, but they're making a different decision than me. No, they're not. They're making exactly the same decision that you're making. You're making a decision to follow your conscience, and they're making a decision to follow their conscience, right? And so he says here, if you have doubts about whether or not you should partake of something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So on disputable matters, some Christians will make one decision and some Christians will make another decision. Your job is to prayerfully seek God and then follow your own conscience. You can apply this to alcohol, to halal meat, to watching Harry Potter, to taking a vaccine, to celebrating Halloween, or anything else prayerfully seek God and then do what your conscience tells you to do and don't dare condemn someone whose conscience tells them to do something else. They may have very good reasons for it and they don't owe you an explanation. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Next one. The next one, we don't, this is the last one, I think, we don't allow false teaching on essential Christian beliefs. There's lots of things we can have a variety of opinions about, but there are certain things that are either true or false. And look at this. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God, but anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ. Church, we do not unite around Halloween vaccines or alcohol. We unite around Jesus Christ, okay? We are Jesus people. We are kingdom people. And it says, uh, um, anyone who comes to, the, to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give them any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partaker in their evil work. It speaks for itself. What's my next slide? 
Is it my six points? It is. Let's read these together. Okay, let's start. One, two, three. We should seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. We have qualifications for leadership positions. We have respect and support for our elders, natural and spiritual. We have moral standards that are higher than the world's. We allow other believers to follow their conscience on disputable matters. We don't allow false teaching on essential Christian beliefs. I don't see how anyone who names the name of Jesus could disagree with any of that. It's all in Scripture, and it's, it's what brings us together. So I want us all to stand together as one body. We are going to pray the Lord's Prayer again as one body, and we're going to ask His kingdom to come and His will to be done. Are we ready, church? One, two, three. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's give God a praise.